0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, or your favorite Bible app, we'll be in Genesis 2 this morning. We'll be starting in verse 4. Uh, let me just say something as you're looking for your spot. Genesis 2, uh, verse 4 is that um, I shared this with Blake last week. Is, you know, we record all the sermons that take place Sunday to Sunday, and then right up here on my phone, I usually slip it underneath. Um, still picks up great, but I shared this with him last week is that you know, we started this mid September last year, so we're pushing to the year mark, and we have hit over a thousand listens. Isn't that remarkable? I mean, we're itty bitty. Uh, I say we're mighty, even though we're itty bitty, but over a thousand listens in the past uh, 11 months. So um, I don't know where people are listening from. I can see that there are so many listeners each week, but I don't know where they're listening from. So just know that we want you to be here at the church. We want to meet you. So don't stay behind the screen uh, uh, each week. We want to better a love on your families as well. So if you know who these people are, bring them here so that we can take care of them and their needs and to show them the ways of Christ. But it's fantastic that we've hit that number. If you found your spot in Genesis 2, would you please stand for the reading of Christ's word. May you hear the word of Christ this morning. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when Yahweh made the heavens and the earth. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for Yahweh had not sent rain on the earth. And there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up, from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then Yahweh formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Skip down to verse 15. Yahweh took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And Yahweh commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, You will certainly die. Yahweh said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now Yahweh had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam... No suitable helper was found. So Yahweh caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then Yahweh made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, "'This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. "'She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man.'" That is why a man leaves his father and uh, mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace to us this morning, that we not only are gathered this morning, but we are also gathered to hear your word. But also, we're here to hear your word and to be doers of your word. And so at this time, may your spirit open our hearts, may it open our minds, and may he bring life and life abundant into our lives so that we might be a people who embody this word this morning. And so may you take this time, enrich it. May you take this time and may it be honorable to you. Speak, Lord, for your people are listening. We offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. As you know, we have moved into a new month where teachers cry. It's August, and parents go, yay! But also for us, you know, we've been looking at a new principle, so to speak, each and every month, a new small thing. And we're now into our eighth month, into our eighth small thing. And for the month of of August, we are looking at uh, exploring covenantal friendships, now, what in the world is that? Covenantal friendships. To be a part of any covenant with somebody, you are intentionally, catch this, you're intentionally committing yourself to someone or many someones. You're intentionally, you're doing this on purpose, committing yourself to someone or many someones. That's what we mean by covenant. And so in marriage, for example, we are covenanting and we are promising, we are pledging ourselves to our spouses, in church membership, we are covenanting or committing ourselves, our entire lives, to a body of people, the church. But what about friendships? That's covenant. What about friendships? What does it mean to covenant, to promise, to uh, pledge, or even to commit ourselves in friendship? Hopefully at the end of this sermon, we will be able to better answer that question of what it means to be in covenantal friendship with others. And more importantly, I pray that we're able to build deeper current friendships that we have with friends. And we're even able to create impactful and very important future relationships and friendships with others. And also possibly even reignite older friendships that we have had in the past. But first things first, let's begin with looking at uh, this statement this morning. True friendship, I want you to think on this, true friendship begins with grace. True friendships begin with grace. Look at verse 7. Then Yahweh formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Notice this. There is an unmistakable emphasis right here on a close relationship between the first human and the ground, right? He is taken from the ground, and do you, I hope you catch this when you read Genesis 2, that there is this emphasis between man and ground. Because we don't pick this up in the English language, but in the Hebrew, there's two words that are brought out. First, this person's name we refer to as Adam. In the Hebrew, is Adam. You can hear the similarity, Adam. But what we don't see so much in the English language is that He is taken from the Adama. That's Hebrew for ground or dirt. Adama, ground, Adam, Adam. Adam is taken from the Adama. And so we don't pick that up so much in our English language. We might have other words that we could probably say in its place, such as um, the earthling is taken from the earth. Or the human is taken from the humus which would be not the thing you eat, but the Latin original there is ground or dirt. The human from the humus. Because here it is, you and I, just like Adam, we've been fashioned by God. And you could say that our creation begins and ends in grace. The author and creator of our lives begins with this covenantal friendship with us, and it is founded on grace. We owe our existence to him, the one who gracefully creates us. And notice in this story, if you read Genesis 1 and 2, God didn't have to create us. Yet out of grace, out of love, he brings forth our existence. So in other words, you look to your left, you look to your right, you look in front of you. You look behind you. Each and every person is God's graced handiwork. At a right time, God decided to bring that person and you yourself into existence because of his grace. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just create and say, oh, done. He creates and then invites you and I into a friendship with him to continue this relationship with one another. He breathes life into this person. And then he says, come and walk with me all the days of your life. Now, let me throw this illustration out. Think of the friendships you've built over the years. I mean, the earliest friendships that you can remember and the most current friendships that you have. How did they begin? Can you think how they began? Sometimes it's hard to remember when you met that friend or have that current friend. You might have remembered a particular place where you met. You might not remember the conversations that were wrapped around that first meeting. But I'm willing to bet that they began in grace and in kindness. They began in gentleness. It is rare that I hear that two friends became long-term friends because there was a fight between the two. Sometimes it happens, right? But they typically begin with kindness and grace and gentleness. What you find historically behind the scenes of Genesis 1 and 2 is this. There's another narrative that would have been well known in the Mesopotamian and Babylonian world. And it was a narrative that was uh, strikingly similar to what you find here in Genesis 1 and 2. But there's very important differences First, the one of the most well known would have been uh, what we, we can read about today is called the Enuma Elish. It was a very well known Babylonian narrative where Marduk, this supreme god, was in a fight with all of these other Babylonian gods. And in order to appease his friends after this big fight with Tiamat, he then pleases the other gods and he says, You know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to create these human beings in order to appease us. I'm going to create these human beings to serve us. And so that's what Marduk does. He creates these human beings in order to at any moment serve the gods. And in a lot of ways, they're very oppressive. The gods are very oppressive towards these human beings. They put hard labor on them. And in certain very odd cases, they get rid of them at any point in time. This is far from the story that you find in Genesis 1 and 2 because God, Yahweh, doesn't create human beings out of violence. There's not this fight between other gods. And then he doesn't create human beings in order to appease him and do whatever he asks It his will. Rather, it is created, and he says each and every time that something has been created, it is good. And after everything is created, he says, it is all very good. And then he creates human beings in order to build this relationship with them. And it is not created in violence, but in peace and gentleness and out of self-giving love that he brings everything into existence. So you have two radically different narratives and stories in this day and time. So, in effect, here's what happens. You and I were created a very specific type of relationship, a covenantal friendship with God. Once we see God covenanting himself to a people, pledging himself to be with us, we are invited to flourish in his very presence. And just like any covenant, we're invited to reciprocate and pledge and commit ourselves in this friendship also. But every covenant comes with a caution. No matter if you create a covenant with a a spouse today, there's cautions thrown in there as well, isn't there? If you create a covenant with uh, a a business, we would write up. There's cautions thrown in there as well. The same applies to the covenant that takes place here, and it happens in verses 16 and 17. Yahweh says this to the man, you are free You're free. You've been created out of my liberty, out of my love to eat of any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you do so, you will certainly die. Parents, we all know about this, don't we? Here's what happens, or at least for my household. All right, kids, hop in the van. We're going to the store, to Walmart, and we're going to go get some groceries. This is what I do every time. Pull up into Walmart, and I turn back, and I look at all of them, and I say, here's the rules. One, stay with me at all times. You stay beside Daddy. Two, do not touch anything. Right? Jody's already telling me this, because what happens? One, they start running up and down the aisles. Two... They touch everything that's near them. I took them just the other day to Walmart and I have two in the buggy and the oldest at my side. And Sophie is got her hand out, hitting everything down the aisle, touching everything. And you keep moving her hand back and she'll go with the other hand thinking it's alright. They touch everything. We know even God is pretty disappointed here with Adam. Eat of Anything in this garden of any fruit that pleases your eye except that one. And just like a child, what does he do? He goes for the one that he is prohibited against, the one he is not supposed to, to, to touch and to eat. And we know the rest of the story of Genesis 2 and 3. We'll get to that another day. But here's my point. We have been created and invited into this covenantal friendship with God. We were designed to adore Him, to pledge ourselves, our hearts, our hands, and our heads to this God, and we have been conceived and formed out of His love, and we have been guided to love Him in obedience. So let's look at another part of the relationship that you find in Genesis 2. Glance down to verse 15 there. This is what it says, Yahweh took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. We jump over two very important verbs in this, to work and to care for. Those are the power words that you would find here in verse 15. And there's a couple of different translations. You might be looking down at yours and saying, mine doesn't say work and care for. Well, the NIV does say work and to care for or to take care of. Then you might have the English Standard Version that will say, work and to keep it. Your uh, King James Version will say, to dress it and to keep it. And then your uh, Christian Standard Bible, your CSB, will say, to work it and to watch over it. I think we get the gist of what each of these are talking about. Regardless, again, these Hebrew words are very powerful. And it's something that we miss in our English uh, translations. Because both of these words in the Hebrew are priestly words. If you were to read the entirety of the first five books of the scriptures in Hebrew, here's what you would notice. These two words come up quite often. And they come up quite often as it relates to priests and their daily activities in the temple or the tent that they have been set aside for. Here's what we should be picking up, church, is this. Adam and Eve are some of the very first priests that we see in Scripture. You have been created. This is what God's telling Adam. You have been created to tend to, to take care of, to watch over as my priest. You have been created in order to mediate, to demonstrate, to reveal who I am and what I am doing in the world. That's what God is trying to get across to them And I think the same applies to us as well. You have been created and fashioned by God. You've been invited into this covenantal friendship with God in order to be a priest, to mediate who this God is, what He is doing, and what He is up to. We are to demonstrate God's wholeness, His fullness, His completeness, and of course His holiness in our lives. And so when we intentionally commit our lives to him and we willfully pledge ourselves to God we're saying I do we're saying I will walk in your ways no matter what and speaking of I do's let's look at the passage as it relates to Eve look down at verse 18 Yahweh says in this verse it is not good for man to be alone I will make a helper suitable for him but then notice what happens after that The Lord brings all of the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, all the creeping things before Adam. And Adam then names each of them. And there's still this longing in Adam. Because it tells us, but Adam, for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Even though he had named all of these creatures, there's something more that Adam is wanting. And we might say that animals are our best friend, right? They are. But there's still something more that we crave in another human being's interaction. Another human being to be at a, build a deeper, more intimate, and more close-knit friendship and relationship with. And so acknowledging this longing, the Lord actually causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep, takes from the rib from his side, and fashions Eve. And upon waking, Adam is gifted with Eve herself. And focus on what he says. These are Adam's words. In verse 23, he says this. This is now bones of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. One writer commenting on this verse notes how Adam's words in the original Hebrew, it's poetry. In fact, it's a poetic couplet. There's two parts of it. He is speaking poetry To this woman that he just laid eyes on. See if I can get myself in trouble now. Wives, raise your hand. If your husband has ever read poetry, spoken poetry, or said something slightly poetic at some point in your life, please do it. Please do it. Please do it. Have they? I look at the glances between some of you and I'm thinking, yeah, you would raise your hand, but he's telling you no right now. You better not do it. I mean, even slightly poetic. Sweet whispers into your ear. Poetic. Singing. Yeah, Michael can sing. Mm-hmm. He does have a voice of a cherubim. Here's my point. Adam, fellas, he beat us long before... He is one of the first. In fact, this is the very first time that poetry takes place in the Old Testament. It is right here. And yet here is this man being romantic in this moment, speaking poetry to his now wife. I'll admit, I used to leave poetry, Song of Solomon on Jade's car when we were dating in high uh, high school, (laughs) dating in college. I had actually recited her, yes fellas, I did, some poetry from Romeo and Juliet the day that I uh, asked her to marry me. Corny, I know. But it's almost like at this deep level, man, we don't know how to express ourselves. So we think poetry probably will do it. And so we speak this poetry, but again, we're not the first to do it. Adam beat us long to it. I'll be in trouble later for that, for sure. Once it comes to understanding, though, these verses, yes, they're poetry. These four verses that we see here are poetic couplets. They're there in the Hebrew. There's poetry involved. But also notice what he says to Eve. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. I want you to connect this right here. Because there is an interconnectedness between man and woman at this point. And Adam is speaking it and acknowledging it. He realizes that their lives are hinged together. And I think we would say that about our own marriages. That we are hinged together in a deep and profound way. For Adam, their lives are hinged together both physically but also spiritually. Out of Adam's own physical flesh, Eve is created. But spiritually, Eve is fashioned as this suitable helper to be at his side. And so as a little side note, the woman, when she's referred to as a helper, this is not an indication that she is inferior or a lower status. You don't get any of that in the Hebrew. What you have is that they're both made of the image and likeness of God, and they are now made complete because they are together. They're hinged and interconnected together. She has been created to accomplish and meet a longing in the heart of Adam himself. And so what you find here is a covenantal friendship has been made between a husband and a wife. And as we find here, perfectly displayed in Adam and Eve. But let me say this. Let's back up. Covenantal friendships, as I already said, is about intentional, caring for relationships. It's a pledging of oneself to someone else or a body of people. Here's what you have in Adam and Eve. And I want us to catch this. This is the close. Adam and Eve, I hope you've seen this morning. They are a microcosm. They are a very small portrait of what covenantal friendship looks like. Because Adam and Eve are more than just historical two human beings. They are representative of what it means to be human. They are representative of what it means to be human. And so what we have here is not just this uniting of man and woman, but we have a uniting of two human beings together. And I hope you've seen this in your life that you have longed for another human being in friendship, but more than that, a covenantal friendship, an intentional pledging of yourself to someone else. So the covenantal friendship that we have here throughout this passage is this. It is a pledging of God to his creation and to his image bearers. That is a theme that will run through the entirety of the Hebrew scriptures and even into the New Testament. God continues to pledge himself over to a people. And what you find again and again is that the people continue to fail. They've run away from this God. They rebel against this God. And yet God is the faithful one every single time. Then here's what else you have about covenantal fr- uh, friendship in this passage. We're, it's a pledging of ourselves back to God because we've experienced his grace and love. You have in the passage here that Adam is consumed by the fact that he has been created, and then he's been given the gift of taking care and tending to his work, but also he's been given the gift of Eve herself. And so you also have a pledging of ourselves to one another, not just husband and wife, but a pledging of yourself to another friend. And building that friendship and promising, if I can use marriage language, a promising to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse. How in the world can Hickory Grove be a people who are pledging themselves, not just husband and wife, not just pledging ourselves as a church to our Father in heaven, but a pledging of ourselves to other human beings so that we can be priests, we can mediate the presence of God, we can demonstrate and exude the very existence of God, his grace, loving kindness, and faithfulness. How in the world can we be that people each and every day, Sunday to Saturday? How can we be that church? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, again, gifting us with your word. The reminder that we have been created for you and our lives are meant to be pushed back towards you. And that we are created in order to build this intentional pledging of ourselves, this intentional promising of ourselves back to you. And so, Lord, I know with my own heart that I am so quick to run away from you. I'm so quick to worry about myself and to feed my own kingdom instead of to pledge myself to you and your kingdom. And so, Lord, forgive me from running so quickly. And so, Lord, as we continue to investigate and examine what covenantal friendship looks like in the month of August, may we be reminded that we are absolutely saturated in your grace. That you are a creator, but more than that, you are also a our restorer, our redeemer. And so may we understand the richness of your gospel that you have chased after us even though we're running away and you have stopped us in our tracks in order to taste, to hear, to see your goodness. And so may we stop and pause for a second and be thankful that you are a God who chases after his people in order to bring us back in covenantal friendship with you. And so, Lord, may we lay our lives before you this morning, acknowledging that grace and that mercy and that kindness towards us. And we offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen.